0: Let's pray while we're still standing. God, some of us are here because we know that we just sang the truth. That we know what it's like for our feet to go from mourning to dancing. That we know your faithfulness. That we think even right now of the times when your presence has been real and helpful to us. And God, some of us are here because we long for that to be true. And we're in that moment where we're just hoping upon hope that if we seek you, we will find. God, would you guide us this morning as we consider your truth together? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, John told me it was going to be chill music uh, this morning. So just so you know, that's how we define chill music uh, around here on a Sunday. Uh, We are getting ready for the Easter season. So if you missed the first few minutes uh, of the service, just a reminder. Uh, to make plans to join us for one of our three services, and also uh, to consider joining us on that Thursday before Easter. It's one of my favorite things to put together, uh, because it gives people a time to just kind of focus and sit with the truth of Easter in a quiet way that's different uh, from this. We are, we're getting weird today, so you're going to hear some noises behind me. Uh, We're starting a a whole new series, and this is going to lead us up to Easter, so we had to go big, uh, so we're going to have some more movement. There's going to be lighting, there's going to be it's going to be very dramatic uh, this morning here, so just preparing you for that. Actually, just means I'm going to be here, and then I'll be over there, and then I'll be over there. That's as exciting uh, as it's going to be. But uh, I am holding a cup uh, on purpose. You might be wondering if I just needed like a little extra fix. Uh, anybody? Did you? Who just went right to get a cup uh, when you came in here? Right? Um, my friend Ashley has this theory about cups, uh, that there's something about holding a cup. Uh, that makes people more honest. Um, that, that, and you know, not those kind of cups, guys, but like just a cup, right? Like if you need to have a difficult conversation, how often do we do that over tea, over like a watt? Like we just need something in our hand. Like it's almost like we just need somewhere to put some of the energy uh, around conversation. And so uh, I realize I've done this for a lot of my life, which is just this thing I call cups and questions. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do, which is just to sit around with people and have a cup and have a table and just ask each other questions. And we have done this a few times formerly, uh, formerly uh, with our City Lights group. We've gotten together some groups and just sat around tables on porches and asked questions. And just to, to let you know how it goes, like when we do it, I usually start with like something silly. Like, well, I'll be holding our cups and, and I'll ask the question, like, do you think there's more wheels or doors in the world? And you got to really, you got to really think about that. And some of you, I know the engineering types, I've lost you. For the next half hour, just be like, okay, you got to factor out all the cars because they all have four of each, and then houses don't have wheels, but some do. I know, I've lost some of you because that's a a deep question. Uh, And then after we kind of get through that, maybe one of the next questions, one of my favorite ones to ask is just, do you think there will be aliens in heaven? (laughs) Right? And you got to kind of think about that, right? There's a lot of... presuppositions behind that question. One is, do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in heaven? Do you think the aliens might know more than us about how you get to the heavens, right? Uh, there's a lot built into that question, and it's kind of fun to just watch people uh, wrestle through it as they, they stare at their cup. Um, <laughs> and then I always liked for there to be like a personal element. So one of my favorite things to do is just to have everybody who's around the table just tell a story about a time that you succeeded at something. Because you hardly ever get a chance to just, just tell that story, right? Uh, and, and it's kind of amazing just to watch how, whether it's the cup or the table or just being around other people, like it opens people up. Uh, one time we were doing this and one of the questions was, uh, just tell about an irrational fear. And I had my answer all planned because I had written the questions and my answer was going to be casseroles. Because <laughs> I'm really afraid of casseroles and that's kind of irrational. Um, but everybody else started answering the question they started saying things like, I'm afraid that I'm not smart enough. Or I'm afraid I'll never be good. And they started like answering really deep truths about who they were and I had to change my answer from casseroles. Because <laughs> it would look like a setup, right? Uh, and in this series, we're going to be asking some pretty big questions. right? We're talking about what it is to go through a faith crisis. So what is faith and why does it matter? And what kind of faith... Uh, matters, and just so you know, if you're new to South Park, like we're a church that believes it's good to ask those questions, and that the truth of God holds up to those questions. That they're actually that's usually a sign of movement in a person when those questions are coming up. If you ask them right, and if you ask them in community, uh, one of my favorite guides through faith crises and through doubt uh, is a writer named Frederick Buechner, and one of the things I remember him writing in a book. It uh, was just that every Sunday, everybody who's here, and you'll have to tell me if this is true, but he says everybody who's here on a Sunday has somewhere in them a secret question they're asking, which is just, is this real? Right, like even if you've been here for years, there's still some part of you going, leaning in, going, is this, is that, all that stuff we just sang, like is that, is that real? And one of the things I love about what he does is that he kind of uh, walks people through how asking questions that he's the one who says that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith, right? And he he says that and all of his writings are kind of based on this idea that we can can ask the questions out loud knowing uh, that God will hold up to the answers and that doubt and crises are usually a moment when our faith can grow. And so we want to move towards that. Uh, as we talk about that this sunday now to do it i want us to talk about a few different types of crises i have been through some myself and i have also been, had the privilege of being around the table with other people so i just want to introduce us uh, to a few types of crises the pew should have cued you in and then the music right we're talking about church crises here like let's say you're a very faithful person and you're here a lot and you're here in the brown chairs or you you go to a church that has seating like this um, that's good for your back um and you got cups and you got a table and you got little tiny they're little tiny cups but they're they're pretty important uh, so let's say you're you're a faithful person but you're going through a life crisis right some of our faith crises are because Somebody's sick or somebody's lost a job or somebody's going through a divorce. We know that every Sunday there are people who are in this type of crisis. And there are very real questions you're asking, right? Because you're, you're thinking, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful. Shouldn't my life just be hashtag blessed all the time? Right, it says in the Psalms that thou art a shield about me. Why art thou not art a shield about me, right? And you're just wondering does faith really matter in this kind of moment? And when I'm sitting with people who are in this kind of life crisis, right, some kind of sickness or death or, or change in life, and they just don't know if God is still who God says God is in these kind of moments, uh, oftentimes, especially if we're at a, at a place with napkins, I will pick up a napkin or a scrap of paper, and I almost always draw the same picture just to help us kind of talk through this crisis. Uh, This comes from a guy named Walter Brueggemann who talks about the Psalms. And he says that almost all of the Psalms go through a moment of orientation, a moment of disorientation, and a moment of reorientation. And because I'm trying to be cool and I draw it on a map, I make it look like orientation is that moment when you're climbing the mountain and you think you're just growing in knowledge and you think you know all the things and everything's going great and you just keep getting higher and higher and life is up and to the left. Disorientation is the thing that makes everything fall apart. It can be a good thing, you're pregnant, right? That's a good thing, but it's disorienting. Uh, It could be a death, it could be a question, it could be a small thing, but it's a moment of disorientation where what you think you knew no longer seems true. And it's like falling off a mountain, right? It's like a free fall sometimes. But then oftentimes that disorientation becomes reorientation. You learn something new and suddenly the thing that you thought was a deep well or a deep abyss uh, becomes an ocean. Uh, and again, if you've, I've done this up here. I've drawn it up here on the stage. I've done it in different workshops and stuff. Uh, it is just a truth about life. It's also how all movies work. Uh, characters think they know something, right? And you learn the rules of the world they live in. And then something happens that causes their world to crash or to fall apart. Uh, And then they learn a new thing in the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's also uh, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, if you look at it carefully enough, right? It is also, if you think about it, I don't know any better thing to draw on a napkin that describes what happened to us two years ago. We thought we knew how it was to be around other people and how viruses work, and then there was a moment of disorientation, right? Right? where everything we thought we knew about how the world worked had to shift and change. Uh, everything we knew about how school and work operated, we had to shift and change. And we're just now maybe coming into a moment of reorientation. Now, some people make their way through that map one time in their life. Uh, they're sailing good, orientation, it's up and to the left until they turn 45. And then they plummet for, <laughs> for 20 years. And then maybe when they're 70, they hit that wave and they're just coasting on the ocean. Uh, I always say this, uh, some people are more like me, and they they go through that a thousand times a day. (laughs) I think I know a thing, I don't know anything. Oh, I know a new thing, right? And and you just do it your whole life, and it's orientation. I think I know something, disorientation, something is falling apart. But one of the things that happens in that crisis, if you go through it enough times, you start to trust that reorientation happens. You start to trust that resurrection happens, and that the world is in fact built that way. Uh, even if it's just a drawing uh, on a napkin. Now, I'm clearly at a, at a juice bar. I don't know what you guys are thinking. This is a juice bar. This is apple juice. I got this trick from the 80s show Cheers uh, where they filled their glasses with juice. Uh, There is a particular kind of disorientation that gets talked about around uh, taller tables uh, with different kinds of cups. And it is the particular disorientation that we'll also call disillusionment. Uh, These days, people talk about it as deconstruction, right? It is this moment when people are over- faith they're over church sometimes it is because of deep hurt and sometimes it is because of deep hope and I just want to say I end up around a lot of tables like this with a lot of people very often the people across the table from me who are in this kind of crisis are young women who have been disinvited from church leadership very often there are young people who have been watching has the loudest pastoral voices fall from grace Sometimes there are people who were just part of a church community and they got hurt. We know that Southbrook can, is sometimes a haven for people who've been hurt in a church community, but we know that somewhere this morning there are people who were hurt here and somewhere else has become uh, their haven. Right? The, there are a lot of questions people are asking when they're in uh, this kind of crisis and maybe they're around this kind of table with this kind of cup. Why isn't this easier? Why isn't this place better? And then a lot of times the question that people are asking here, even if they can't vocalize it, the question that they're asking when they're at this table is do I really belong? And just on the record, I love these voices. (laughs) They're my favorite ones. If I, I've gotten in the, over the course of my sort of pastoral career, I've gotten a bunch of emails that often have disillusionment as the subject line. And I click on them right away. I'm so excited to open disillusionment uh, emails because I know that that means that something good is happening, that people are being stirred up to encourage the church to answer the call to be the body of Jesus. And what I tell folks when they're in this kind of space, right, one of the things I'll say is that the very best ideas you have came from Jesus. The things you want the world to be, the things you want the church to be, those came from Jesus and got their start in Jesus. And then there's a thing that I will draw on a napkin that I just want to share with you. Again, this is the thing, these are all my greatest hits, so you've maybe heard me talk about this one too. Uh, But I stole this from uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, who in one of her books talks about how, uh, she says, if you want to think about faith, think about an old campsite map and draw the place where you might have a campfire, where you might call your home, that you might keep the fire burning and stay warm and, and make your s'mores, your cozy by the fire, and then draw the wilderness. She says, now the thing about faith is that the story of God is best kept by the fire. But it is best lived in the wilderness, she says. And that there are times when you need a season of your life to stay close to the fire. You need people, the church needs people who get, get the details right, get the story right, who stay close to that flame. But it also needs the people who go out exploring the wilderness, And one of the things, especially when you're in that young disillusion, the world is open to you, but it also feels closed to you and you just want it all to be better. Sometimes you need time by the fire and sometimes you need time to wander. Now this is a more church friendly environment uh, because it's a coffee coffee table, coffee shop that we're in, clearly. Uh, and also, I, have, I work in coffee shops a lot. So I've learned how... Have you ever been in a coffee shop that you secretly know as a church? Uh, that happens a lot to me where I, I secretly realize... Several times it's proved to be true the coffee shop is run by churches. Uh, that's a whole, a whole secret mission some people have. But uh, I end up a lot of times across sort of coffee tables and holding mugs with people. And this kind of crisis is the kind of crisis where you just run into a question you can't shake. I feel like I, I meet people here all the time who they, they sort of belong in the pew, but when they're in the pew, they're, they're questioning. And a lot of times those questions have to do around the Bible, and it's just something that they can't shake, and it keeps them up at night, and it, you know, the whole time, like, Charlie might be up here talking, but you're going, wheels or doors? Is there more wheels or doors? And you're just, you're stuck. And I wanted you to kind of meet my friend. Uh, Saul's gonna come over here. Some of you already know Saul Gomez. If you want to give him some clap and transition music. So, we wanted you to hear Saul's story during this series because he, it wasn't exactly a crisis. At
1: times. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it had a few crises.
1: Hello, hello. You on? Can you there. hear me? There we go.
0: Perfect. Um, so, you had a thing where you wanted, you had a goal to read the Bible. Yep. But it had a time factor. You yes. wanted to read it in a year. Yes. Okay, and how did that go?
1: Not good. I mean, (laughs) no, but honestly, um, Laura and I had met, and uh, I actually came to her because I felt very ill-equipped for some of the conversations that I was having with friends and family. And uh, in uh, a barrage of a 1,000 questions, I would ask Laura. We'd meet at a coffee shop at Starbucks, and I'd (laughs) say, how come God is really mad in the Old Testament, but he seems really cool and happy in the New Testament, and just random (laughs) things like this. So... In one of those conversations, she said, hey, there's this Bible app, and you can read the Bible in a year, and it's awesome, and it's easy, and you'll love it, and it took me two years, seven months, and 11 days. <laughs> That's right. Yes. It was not pretty, but I did it. You did it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Now, tell us, how did, that, how did that feel, like, when you realized, oh, I'm six months behind? Like, how, just how did it feel as you were going through the experience?
1: Oh, I'm good with guilt, so <laughs> I felt really bad. There's a button. I don't know if you've ever done this. It's catch-me-up button when you're reading this app, and... I pushed it like just a thousand kept, kept times. Yeah, yeah. I'd button. get a behind, yeah. I'd get behind on something, but but yeah, it, it it felt not great in the moment, but but again, I finished it and that felt great.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I loved about our conversations was that a lot of times, because you're a person people go to to mm-hmm. talk to about faith and life mm-hmm. and everything, so a lot of times our conversations were like a, a soup of what you were reading. Mm-hmm. And also what you were talking to your mechanic about. Yes. Or yeah. like what you were talking to the server at the restaurant about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So talk about some of those questions that came up that could have been crises.
1: Um, lots of questions, sometimes awkward, um, but very real questions. Uh, questions about how do you define marriage? Questions about sex. Lots of questions about sex. <laughs> um, but mostly, ultimately, what does the Bible say or even not say about questions like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that one of like the God of the Old Testament yes, seems different in character. Some st- mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a hard thing. when We tell people, just go read the Bible. And then they read it and they open it up and it's, oh, God's taking out a city today, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I, I just, in the spirit of just conversational stuff, mm-hmm. I just the other day read something that made me think of those conversations. And it was a writer who said that, um, you know, we don't get, in the New Testament, we don't get to see Jesus think. Like we don't get to see behind Jesus' thoughts. We just get to see what he does and what he says. We don't get to hear his thoughts. And they said if you want to know what Jesus was thinking, you have to read the Old Testament. Hmm. That all those things about justice and wrath and and God being mad when cities don't take care of people, that that was all stewing inside of Jesus. He just kept acting in grace. And that was a good, so years later, I have a good answer for you. Thank you, you. thank you. Yeah. Uh, How did it feel? Because you did finally hit that thing Mm -hmm. where you answered everything. Did you feel like, oh, I have all the answers now that I've read every page?
1: No, no. But what was cool, and and I've said this before, um, it felt good, the accomplishment, but it really, I can't tell you how many times I'd be in a conversation with a friend or someone in my family who would ask some question about prayer or something, I'd say, oh, my gosh, I just read this today or I just read this this week. And for me, it helped give me a sense of confidence, especially in very important discussions and conversations, to be able to r- reference an actual story and something that usually, the way God works, it was something I always had just read that day or that week.
0: Right. Cool. Yeah, and I think we get this that phrase and that it's a living, breathing thing, mm-hmm. right? And you got to kind of see that yeah. uh, play out. So, cool. all right. Thanks for sharing your story. I, I think it's incredibly valuable, uh, not just for people to know you because you're fun. No, but also just for people to know that you can take it on, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. have an experience with, scripture, and you're going to have barriers, you're going to run into questions, but the Mm -hmm. questions, I I think one of the things I always said to you is every question you're asking has been asked. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, there's nothing you're going to say that nobody has, like, written a bunch of books or blog posts about. Like, it's a conversation that's been going on for thousands of years about what God's Word is. That is, and I would add
1: one more thing. Laura said this to me once, and it gave me such peace, as crazy as that'll sound. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's okay to say, I don't know. I think, I think you know, God, I think this book is this beautiful mystery at times, and I think that's on purpose so that we do things like this, that we have conversations and prayerful thought into what the heck is he saying here, but yeah. but it's, sometimes it's okay.
0: Yeah, and sometimes your question made me go, well, let me come back to you in two weeks, yeah. right? And yeah. like, let's, let's explore it, yeah. Cool. So I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with Thank us you. all. Go all right. back and take care of all the cups. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I just want to say, as much as I have been the person on the side of the table who's, who's responding to questions, very often I've been the one asking them as well. One of the great uh, gifts that I was given, uh, well, I'll say this first. Uh, one of the things that kept coming up in my conversation with Saul, but also every time, especially around Bible things, uh, there's a thing I regularly draw on a napkin, and it is just a spectrum And on one end of the thing, I put system. And on one end of the thing, I put story. Uh, Very often in a coffee shop type crisis, right? When you just run into a question or a puzzle or what is this thing about God or what does God want from us? Very often when we run into a barrier, it's because we're too far on the spectrum, right? We need to read the Bible like it is a story. But one of the things that's been helpful to us is also having some things that we know we hold on to, that these are the true things. Some of us go so far under the system, like just tell me the 10 things that I need to agree to that we miss the story element. Some of us hang out so much in the story that we forget there are a few things we can hang on to, right? And some of us grow up in system churches uh, where you run into the puzzle of bad things and you have to make your system work around scripture. Uh, But oftentimes what's happening is that we need to move Uh, towards the story spectrum and recognize what god is up to in a moment with the people and then do some translating of how that plays uh, into our life i don't know if all this sounds hard Uh, one of the things i've been trying to say once in a while is if you can understand the marvel universe (laughs) scripture is like easy (laughs) Uh, 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 and i say that only watching a few of those marvel movies and every time being like i have no idea what's happening here Uh, but it can be a useful thing so I wanted to to draw that uh, on the thing Uh, the other thing I just want to say is I am a person uh, who you know I had a season where I was a student for a lot of years and there were these years where I was getting all these words and a lot of the words I forgot but uh, there was a word uh, that I remembered Uh, I was on a retreat with some professors and they said to me just always remember that Jesus is the question now, if you grew up during a certain era, that sounds weird to you because you might have grown up with bumper stickers that say Jesus is the answer. And and that might that might do some work for you. But I have sat my whole life with Jesus is the question. And what they meant by that is that through every crisis, the question is what do we make of Jesus? What do we make of the one who said these beautiful, challenging things, who said to forgive 70 times uh, seven who was able to heal with his hands and his coats and his bread and his cups one of the things we remember when we're in a coffee table crisis right where we just were running into a question that we can't answer and a puzzle we can't solve is to remember that we are part of a story that includes job questioning the voice in the sky that includes jacob like wrestling with a figure who's an angel in the dark that includes rachel Weeping by the side of the road. That includes David just trying to sing through his pain. Uh, That includes Jesus like meeting at night with Nicodemus because he's ashamed to ask his questions by daylight. That when we are here and we're asking questions, we are never uh, at this table alone. I also want us to hear, for those of you who are over here, right? Right? and you're in the dark, (laughs) that you've been hurt or damaged or the picture you have of church or or who you're supposed to be, it just feels so broken and not what it's supposed to be. One of the the things of being that kind of voice and having that kind of thing, when I was that young, disgruntled, disillusioned young person, I had plenty of people who told me uh, it is one thing to critique and it is another thing to energize and that prophets do both that that was a word that also comes from walter brueggemann who says that all the prophets you see in scripture all the disillusioned voices who want the people of god to be something different that yes they spend a lot of time critiquing but they spend just as much time energizing and that that might be your call if you're this person over here i want to just tell a story here real quick too uh just a few weeks ago uh, a man named robert hall down in tennessee uh, passed away And Dr. Hall was uh, one of my seminary professors. He was Princeton-trained. He could quote the Greek Bible if he wanted to impress people at a party, at like a, you know, weird party. Uh, (laughs) he He was an elder at his church for several years, the church that I attended when I lived in Tennessee. He wore a bow tie every day. Like he was, if that helps you picture him, he was that guy, right? And he could just, at the drop of a hat, give you a lecture on... The meaning of a word in, in the Greek New Testament. But my, when I found out that Dr. Hall died, my first thought of him was not uh, the things that he said. Uh, when I graduated from seminary, uh, my sister was in the throes of battling uh, the breast cancer that eventually took her life. And Chris came to my graduation, and there she is, it's an old, crusty picture because it was a while ago. Uh, but she came to my graduation, and the, the church had a reception for us. And my sister, Uh, has been she had been mistreated by a bunch of churches she would come in with all her she wanted to energize the church and she wanted to bring new ideas and a lot of times she would end up getting uh, burnt they'd like her for six months and then she'd be she'd want them to change a little too much and so she'd get burnt and she ended up in like an hour-long conversation with dr hall And for the rest of her life, that ended up not being that that long. She kept going back to that conversation because it was the first time in her life that she was across the table from somebody like that and they just listened to her. And so when this great man, this lecturer, passed away, my first thought, my first way of honoring him was to remember he was a person who listened. And that sometimes when we're around the table with disillusioned young folks, the best thing we can say is, I hear you. And I also want the church to be a grace-filled place, and I want to fight for that with you. If we can move back over here to the pew, in case you're in this crisis again. The poet, uh, Rilke, says that God is the great homesickness. And we could probably just sit here with that for a minute. God is the great homesickness, he says. Hebrews 11 says that faith is being confident of what we hope for and assured of what we do not see. Whatever type of crisis we're in, I just want us to keep one question alive today. What if this is all real? What if God made the world from chaos and gave dust a heartbeat and gave us opposable thumbs. What if? What if God controls water and that sometimes that water floods us and that sometimes God makes a way through the water for us to pass to the other side? What if Jesus was God in the flesh? What if? All the things he did and moved and the ways he said and the healings that he did, what if all that was the spirit of God working and moving and it is still alive and present in our world? What if death is an open door? What if it was not just true that one time on the cross at Easter, but what if it is always true that when something dies, something new comes out of it? There's one other thing. Uh, that I that I draw on a napkin. I just want you to see this real quick. This is my drawing on a napkin. It's going to come up here. <laughs> that's actually okay. I lied. Um, that's Doubting Thomas by Caravaggio, and a few notes on this. One is that Caravaggio was a murderer, but we don't have, a murderer, but we don't have to talk about that. Uh, you can look that up on Wikipedia. But he he painted this picture, and there's a few things to note. One is that just about the story of thomas we talk about it a lot around easter Um, thomas was out of the room when everybody else got to see the wounds of jesus so we give him a bad rap for wanting to investigate this truth Uh, so i always want to say that when we talk about doubting thomas but one of the things i love about the way uh, the murderer caravaggio painted this is that if you notice uh, thomas is not actually looking at the wound Uh, in caravaggio the light is supposed to be divinity And so, yes, he has his hand on the wound of Jesus, but his eyes are toward the light because he can now see that God is real and true. The other thing about this painting that I learned in a big book that I just skipped to the pages about this painting uh, is that if you look at the hand of Thomas, it's supposed to mimic Michelangelo's painting of God creating man. You know, the famous one where the finger of God is kind of reaching down to Adam and making a new creation in the wound of Jesus, Thomas' hand is making something brand new. And I just want us to think, what if in this painting that is something true? What if every question, what if every crisis, what if every pain, what if every moment of doubt, what if in every moment of pain we are never alone? And there is always a presence, and there is always a new creation. God, we thank you for this truth that we are not alone. We thank you for the invitation to your table to be here with you and with each other. God, we think of the moment when Jesus held a cup And he asked the question, could this go any other way? And when the only clear answer was to go towards the cross, we thank you that Jesus said yes. God, we thank you for the grace we find across the table from you and from each other. I pray that this morning it is real to us as we take the cup and the bread in our hands. God, help us to move the mountains around us and to move them together. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.